Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, The Next Life. Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the, uh, the Easter season. I'm the Easter season. I'm way ahead, aren't I? Christmas season. Uh, wow. I'm just jumping ahead. I'm telling you, I'm a guy who lives in the future. We, uh, we had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you did too. And, and we're still, I don't know what's up with Dre. He doesn't like leftovers. Like that's like un-American or something like that. We, uh, we're still eating them in our house and just having a great time with that. And uh, In fact, we actually, we're into the uh, Christmas season already. We went and got our Christmas tree yesterday. And it's up and it's decorated. And uh, I know, isn't it amazing? The best thing about it is to have, the best thing about having grown kids is that they do all the work. And uh, so they, they, yesterday, my daughter and a couple friends of hers uh, from uh, college were there, and they just did an amazing job with our tree. And so that's the way life should be, right? That's the way it is. So, so you, may, you do the tree when they're young, they grow up, and they do the tree. I think it's a fair uh, and equitable deal. But uh, anyway, we're, um, we're going to be continuing our series today in the book of 1 Corinthians. And inside of your bulletin, there is a message note sheet um, that will help you follow along a white sheet. And I want to welcome you, especially if this is your very first time, to Rocky Peak. We're so glad you're here with us. And we're in the midst of a series in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. We'll be continuing today in chapter 15. So let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to be with us, and then we'll launch on in. Father, thank you for uh, all the blessings of our life, God. And we just thank you for Thanksgiving. Thank you for a week that we could reflect on, on your goodness, Lord, and celebrate together. And God, now as we prepare to go into the Christmas season and the birth of your son and to welcome your son again this time of year and to celebrate his coming, Lord, we pray that uh, you'd be preparing our hearts for that. Lord, today as we come into uh, 1 Corinthians 15, again, we come to your word and God, we just want to remind ourselves and we want to say to you that um, this is, we're not here because it's just a thing to do or it's Sunday, but we're here because we want to learn from you, want to hear from you. And so we pray that you'd come and speak to us by name, by your spirit. And, just in, and during this time that we'd come away, we'd have a clear sense that there's something there for us that you wanted us to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today uh, we're continuing this series we've been in now for, for a long time, First Corinthians, Changing the Way You Think, and we come today to the second half of chapter 15. And if you were here last week, you know we focused on the first half of chapter 15. Apparently there were some false teachers who were springing up in the church of Corinth, and they were challenging the whole doctrine of the resurrection. They were saying, you know, we don't think when you die, we think when you die, yes, you go to be with Jesus if you're a Christian, but... We don't think you're going to get your body back, that there's no physical future involved. It's just a spiritual future. And Paul comes alongside and says, are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding. At the heart and soul of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that he died for our sins and that he broke the power of sin in the human race. He turned back the hands of time so that we could all uh, receive new bodies, this whole process of sin and death, that it could be reversed and so that we could be come back full strength and receive these new amazing bodies. And so um, this raises another set of questions for the skeptics in, in Corinth. And there were some there, and there's skeptics like this today that say, well, how would a resurrection like that work? I mean, I, I can't really picture that. Like our bodies, they go in the grave, they disintegrate, all the dust to dust, ashes to ashes, everything spreads out, uh, molecules are gone. I mean, how, how does this work that God is going to resurrect our bodies? We don't think that God can do that. And the Apostle Paul comes back and says, are, are you forgetting who we're talking about here? This is God. He is in the body-making business. 
You know, he knows how to do bodies. He makes human bodies. He makes animal bodies. He makes heavenly bodies like the sun and the moon and stuff like that. He, he just, he knows how to do bodies. And so this is really not a challenge to him. And he, he takes it one step further and he's going to use a farming analogy. He says, when you're planting your field, you take a seed and that seed, you plant it in the ground. And then that seed has to die. It has to go in the earth and die before it can really achieve its destiny. And so, like, if you want to, want to raise an oak tree, you don't plant, like, a miniature oak tree under the girth and then hope it grows up to be a big oak tree. You plant an acorn. And then that has to die so it can become an oak tree. And so our lives, they have to be changed. Our bodies have to go in the ground and be changed um, before we can receive our new bodies. And so he's going to talk to us today about the next life. And I'm pretty excited about this because I think as Christians, many times we, have a, a, we don't really have much of a view of the next life. And if we do, it's usually a negative view. It's usually a view that we wouldn't call it negative, but if you ask us, are you excited about it? And we're really honest, we'd say, well, to be honest, no. You know? I mean, I think for a lot of Christians, if you're say, just can we just be honest here? Would you rather live, like, uh, continue to live on earth or live in heaven? It's like, for a lot of us, if life's going pretty well, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's like the cold cloud thing, the harp thing, I don't really know. And so we need a new view of the next life. And so that's what Paul's going to talk to us about today. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll start at verse 35. We'll run through it and then talk, come back and talk about what to expect from the next life. 1535. But someone may ask, and of course these are the skeptics in Corinth, some of, these, some of the skeptics may ask, well, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body will, that, will they come? And how's that really going to work? And Paul says, how foolish. You know, when you're planting a seed, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow or plant, you do not plant the body that will be the oak tree, but you just plant like the seed, perhaps of, of wheat or something like that. And God gives, to, it gives it uh, a body just as he's determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. And all flesh or all bodies are not the same. Like men have one kind of flesh or bodies. Animals have a different, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. He's talking now about the uh, uh, planets above, as we'll see. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies, the beauty of the heavenly, is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon has another. The stars another. And the stars differs, and star differs from star in splendor. Okay? So all he's saying is that God knows how to do bodies. It's like, how, you know, how is this going to work? We're going to die. We're going to need a new body. Oh, how is that going to work? I'm not sure God can do this. He's not up to it. Paul says, come on. We're talking about the chief body maker of all time. He knows how to do bodies. And so don't worry about this. He's going to be able to pull this off. Verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, in other words, the body, your body and my body that goes in the grave, the body that's sown is perishable. He says, our current bodies have a shelf life, you know. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we had an expiration date somewhere on us? We knew, we knew what the shelf life on this body was. It'd be very helpful. This body's going to go bad in 10 years, so use it now, you know, something like that. He says, they're perishable. It's going to be raised imperishable. 
It's sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. Now, underline that word glory. We're going to come back to that later. Sown in dishonor. You know, one of the saddest things, I'm getting old enough now to where I've, I've lived enough of life, I've seen this happen, where one of the saddest things to me in life is when you know someone when you're very young, and they are in the prime of their life. They are strong and they are healthy. They're the epitome of, of strength and a noble person. And you know them when they're young. And then you watch them as you grow older. They get older. Say like you're a little kid. And they might be like one of your parents' friends or something like that. And they're just they're so strong and they're vivacious and they're full of life. And they're funny and they're capable and so on. And then you watch as you grow up and you watch that person begin, have their body begin to fail them. And they may begin to lose their strength. They begin to lose their, their memory. They may begin to lose their mind. And it comes a day when you go to their funeral and you have all these pictures up on the board of their life and you see them in, in strength and health. And maybe they're in the military and they see them with their medals on. You see them there at their wedding. You see them there at their first child, uh, when their first child was born. And you see these high points of their life and they're so strong and they're so capable. And now you stand there at the funeral and you're there in front of an open casket and you see this person that is now, their body has, let, has failed them. Their body is a body of dishonor. It's no longer this body of strength. And the Apostle Paul says, this is the predicament of the human race. This is the problem that you have. This is the biggest problem that I have, that we are all going to die. Our bodies are going to fail us. These bodies that we have are not the bodies we were designed to have. See, these bodies are bodies of weakness. And no matter how strong you might feel right now, and maybe you're in the prime of your life right now, no matter how strong your body is, that inherit within it are the seeds of decay. And we will all go down that path. And so he says, he's describing this body in verse 43. He says, our current body, it's sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. It's gonna be amazing. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Now, by natural, he's not, sometimes we use the words like, you know, spiritual as opposed to physical. He's not talking about that because as we'll see, this is all about getting a physical body like Jesus had. What he's saying is, have you ever noticed this? Some, many times in life, your body wants to go one way and the Holy Spirit wants you to go another way. <laughs> have you ever noticed this? That it's like, the, God's telling you, this is the way, walk you in it. And your body's going, no, it isn't, go over here. <laughs> it's like, so our, right now we have natural bodies, they do what natural bodies want to do. He says, then there's going to be no conflict. We're not going to have bodies that want to go to the left when God's saying go to the right. That we're going to have spiritual bodies, Holy Spirit-directed bodies, spirit-energized bodies. So he says, that, and if there's a natural body, then there's also going to be a spiritual body. Now skip down to verse 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man. Now who's that earthly man? Father, would you just be with this congregation today and just help them wake up and awake sleeper, arise from the dead, Christ will shine on you and get over the tryptophan and just come on back and join me here. Okay, let's try this again. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, who would be? Adam, very good. So we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven, who would be? Jesus, right. So he says, just like we've had the DNA of Adam, that we have these fallen bodies, one day we'll have the DNA of Jesus, have his new, earth, his new heavenly body, okay? Verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood, 
cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, that, that our current bodies, doesn't matter how strong you are currently or in your prime, that your current body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the atmosphere of the next life is such that we cannot really, our bodies could not function there. I like to think of it, it's like, it's like the next life runs on a higher voltage than this life. And we, we're not wired for it. And if we were trying to take our bodies and go to the next life, it would be like it'd fry us. We just are, don't, we're not, we don't have the cap- capability of handling that. It says the perishable can't inherit the imperishable. 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Now remember in, in the Bible, a mystery is something that was once concealed but's now revealed. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We're not all, all going to die before Jesus comes back. But we will all be changed. You see, even if you're in the prime of life, you're going to have to be changed. And it happened in a flash. Think of your digital flash camera and just a flash, twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet when Jesus returns. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and then we who are still alive on earth at that point will be, will be uh, changed. For the perishable, our current bodies must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when that's happened, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the death, then the saying that's been uh, is written, it's from Isaiah 25, a, pro- a prophecy, will come true. The death has been swallowed up in victory. And then quoting from the book of Hosea, the Old Testament, where, O death, is your victory, and where, O death, is your sting. Now he says, now, here's how it works. The sting of death is sin. He says, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there and they chose to rebel against the king, it was like Satan stung them and this venom went in. And the venom is poisonous venom. And he says, the, the sting of sin leads to death. That's why we all die. He says, but, and the power of sin is in the law, that we became lawbreakers against the king, and the sentence for rebellion against the king is death, you see. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus has come, and through his death and resurrection, he has turned back the hands of time. And this process of sin and death that was started at the fall in the garden has been turned back now to where the sin has been paid for and therefore we can get new bodies. Therefore we can have a new start and that's why Jesus came. He died, he rose so that we can die and rise. You see, he's the prototype of a new generation and we'll talk more about that later. Verse 58, he says, therefore, so what's the point? He kind of sums up this whole chapter, now brings it to a close. He says, because of this, therefore, because of the resurrection, because Jesus died and rose, and because we're going to rise, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm and let nothing move you. There are your false teachers and your myths are saying there will be no resurrection. Resist those people, stand firm, let nothing move you, and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You remember uh, Jesus said that we are to seek first his kingdom, right? Same deal, same, same idea. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor here on earth, your service to God, it's not in vain. Because there is a resurrection, it will be rewarded. And what you do now impacts what happens then. And because that is true, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Okay, focus in on following Christ wholeheartedly, Okay. Now, that's the passage. 
Now, here's what I want to do. Like I said earlier, I think oftentimes in Christian circles, we've got some pretty crazy ideas of what's going to happen in the next life. And in a lot of ways, we need to be like, a, if we were computers, we, we're like a hard drive that needs to be reformatted. We need to be kind of wipe it clean. And when it comes to the future, we need to wipe it clean, start over again, kind of reload the software. What do we know about the next life? And so in this passage, if you flip your sheets over, I have a section called What to Expect, um, and we're going to talk about three things that flow out of this passage. What to expect from the next life. Number one, the first thing that we should expect, Paul says, is a new body. That if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are going to get a new model, uh, kind of the, uh, the new version, updated. And, and this new model is a huge improvement over the old model. And this is where he starts. You know, often when we think of the next life, and we talked about this a little bit uh, last week, is that when we think of the, the next life, I think for many of us, the picture that comes to mind is not physical. It is what we would call spiritual. We would think spiritual. In other words, we think of the next life, the kind of images we come to mind, we, we think very ethereal. We think um, very kind of uh, cloud-like, wisp-like. You see this in our movies, right? If you ever see a movie when someone dies and goes to heaven, have you ever noticed this how often the whole camera lens will shift? That, and I, I'm not a movie maker, so I don't know. Someone came up afterwards and told me what it's called, and I've already forgotten. But it's just the, the whole camera shifts, right? And so if you've ever seen a movie of heaven, typically it's not very concrete, it's not very hard, it's not very like real, it's very like mystical-like. It's, it's kind of um, foggy. It's usually the dominant color is what? White, right? Everything's white. Um, and so um, and, and often there's clouds around, people you kind of see through them. Everyone's very peaceful, but it almost looks like um, kind of drug-induced. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like, welcome to ha- heaven, here's your Valium. You know, it's just, and it's like everyone's kind of, ooh, you know. So it just, you don't get a sense that it's like real life. Are you with me on this? You know what I'm saying? And then you can, if you were to like take a picture of heaven like that, you were to, to, to do that movie on heaven and then switch back to earth, suddenly there's colors, there's activity, there's motion, there's creativity, you see? It's like, and so we have this picture, and no wonder that no one wants to go there, you see? Like, everyone wants to go to heaven because it beats the alternative, but no one really wants to go there now because we look, this is the life of creativity, this is the life of action, this is the life of purpose, this is life where you win and lose, this, this life means something, that one, you're just kind of on this flat line, happy pill the whole time. Okay, so... Paul comes at this, he says, what you have to understand about the next life, the first thing, let's just start with ourselves, is that you're going to have new bodies, and they are going to be amazing, and they're going to be very real, and they're very concrete. In fact, he says, in comparison, our bodies here would be like bodies that are weak. He uses words like they're dishonorable, they're weak, they're, they're, your body's perishable, uh, it's declining, it's dying. He says, the body's there, oh, they're amazing. He uses words like power. Now, I like that. You know, I'm a guy. I like power stuff, right? I love it when I've been working out, which I, I haven't been recently. But I love it when I've been working out because my body feels so powerful. You should go to move something around the house and you just, you just lift it. You just move it. This even driving in my car, I can feel my muscles. I just like the feeling, 
I just like, I like the feeling of being powerful, you see? And I think in one way or another, we all do. And Paul says these current bodies, I don't care if you're Mr. Universe, your current body is weak. He says you're gonna have, your body's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be powerful. He uses this word glory to describe it. Now in the Old Testament, when the glory of the Lord appears, it's like light and it's brilliant, isn't it? It's always, like the word glory comes with power, it also comes like light and brilliance. And so he says, our, our bodies are going to be like full of glory. He says, in fact, they're imperishable. They're indestructible, but they'll be more like the man of steel than our current bodies. That they, they won't be subject to pain or breaking. The current bodies we have as a result of sin entering in the race and then death being the result, we all have the bodies we have. And they're bodies of death. And it's the biggest problem of the human race. See, the biggest problem that you and I have is that one day we are going to die. And that's the problem Jesus came to solve. And I tell you, the older you get, the more, um, the more real this becomes, I think. I think often when we're young, I know many of you are young, and you might be 15, you might be 20, you might be 22, you're in the prime of life, and you feel so strong. But you know, the older we get, the more we get in touch with reality, that our bodies our bodies of weakness. Isn't this true? Three years ago, it was Thanksgiving, and I was, uh, every year at Thanksgiving, my family, the immediate family, we would go up to the mountains of Julian in San Diego County, and there's this cabin we'd been going to for 18 years in a row, and it was just an awesome time for our family to get together, and just our immediate family, and then one of our families extended would come at the end of th- to have Thanksgiving with us, we'd be up there for a week by ourselves, and we just loved this, and so every year, the guys at the church where I was working, they'd come up and say, hey Mike, can you join us this year for our annual turkey bowl on Thanksgiving Day, and I'd say, sorry, I can't, you know, I'm up in the mountains, I'd love to, I love football, but I just can't do that because I'm up in the, you know, hour and a half away. Well, after 18 years, our cabin owners decided they needed to refurbish the cabin that year. We couldn't have Thanksgiving. So the guys come up and they said, hey, Mike, are you going to be in town this year? And I said, I actually am. And I said, so, so who's in this, you know, who plays in this game? It was, it was all the staff guys, you know, we had 100, 200 staff guys. So who, who plays in this thing? Oh, and they, they started listing off some 20-somethings and and then they listed off a guy who's 35. And I'm thinking, well, that's not too bad. I know that guy. If he's playing, couldn't be too bad. And um, so I'm thinking, they got 10 years on me, but I'll go out there and this will be really fun. And so I go out there. I hadn't worked out in a couple months, but I thought, that's okay. I'll be all right. And I get out there. Did I mention it was tackle football? I, I didn't mention that. That's an important piece of this story. And, uh, and so I get out there and it's like, there's one guy who's 40. That's it. Everyone else, these are kids, 18 to 23, 25. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, it's too late to get out of it now, right? Because I'd lose my manhood. I'd lose my authority in the pulpit. You know, if I, if I left and said, oh, this is too tough, I just I couldn't do that. And so, so I go out there and I just played my heart out for two hours. And you guys, you know how this works. And, how, and you know, you play a sandlot type game like this. It's like you go both ways. You don't like play offense and sit out and play. You play the whole time and it's two hours and it's tackle and we're going for it. And it's just hard hitting and it's just fun. And I'm telling you, I'm having the most fun of my life. I haven't had fun like this in three or four years at that point. I mean, just like this is so and fun. About a third of the way through the game, they said, Mike, would you like to play quarterback? Oh, I love to play quarterback. And I'm back there. I haven't thrown a ball probably in five years. I'm out back there and I'm airing the thing out. You know, it's like everyone's, you know, Jerry Rice down the field, woo, you know, and, and you're just like throwing that, and it was so fun. Then I woke up the next morning. <laughs> That's a true story. This is a true story 
no exaggeration. I know pastors exaggerate, not that I ever do, but I mean, I know that pastors do. True story, I wake up the next morning and I'm lying there in bed. And I'm thinking, now would be a good time to get up. And I start lifting my head and I get this far and there's just like a rack of pain, my whole torso, from like my knees to my shoulders. It's just like one big knot. And I, and I kept on commanding my body and said, no, I'm a body of weakness. I'm a body of dishonor. I'm perishable. Did you forget that? Finally, no lie, the only way I could get out of bed is I rolled to the right and dropped to the floor. Landed on my stomach, spread eagle, pushed myself up. For the next five days, that's how I got out of bed. Well, my arm was sore during that time from all the throwing, but I didn't think much about it. I've gone through this before, not the five-day thing, but, you know, gone through a couple, you know, your, days, your arm's sore for a day or something. At the end of five days, the rest of my body's ready to go, ready to go back and play some more football. My shoulder's, like, left behind. And I'm thinking, no big deal. I'll just, I'm sure to heal. Month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by. My shoulder's getting worse and worse and worse. So finally, I start going to a doctor and I go to several doctors, go to physical therapy. My, my arm now, it's like I cannot raise it more than about here. I couldn't go behind my back more than here. It was just becoming useless. Doctor after doctor, physical therapist after physical therapist, nothing's working. Finally, after several months of this, I get to an orthopedic who knew what he was doing. And as I talked to him, he said, you know what you have? You have frozen shoulder. <laughs> I said, are you a real doctor? Because I could have come up with that diagnosis. Hey, doctor, my shoulder's frozen. <laughs> yeah, it's called frozen shoulder. He said, I said, are you serious? He says, yeah, I'm serious. I said, well, what, what does that mean? He says, here's what happened. When you went out there after years of not throwing the ball and you started heaving the ball and all those times, what happened is you just like hundreds and thousands of little micro tears in your muscles. And he said, and then when you didn't move for days, you couldn't move for days. He said those each like became little mini scars and, you, and your, your shoulders is full of scar tissue and that's why you can't move your arm. I said, so what do we do? Is there a pill we take or what? Said, oh, no, no, we need to do surgery. Well, what are you gonna do in surgery? Well, after we put you out, we're gonna take your arm and I'm gonna crank it all around and make it do all the things it should be doing. Doc, that sounds really painful. That's why we put you out. <laughs> So then what happens? Well, we make these three incisions and we go in arthroscopically and, and we, we blow up your arm really big with air and water and so on. We get it really big and then we, we like scrape it with a knife. Scrape the muscles with a knife. Three months later, after surgery, three hours a day, physical therapy, my arm was 80 to 90% again. It's probably 80 90% now and that's probably as good as it's gonna be. No, I was just glad to get it back, you know. Like, where you been? It's been good to see you, buddy, you know. <laughs> I tell you something, that day, when that, when that happened, that diagnosis, and that whole period, it was like an eye-opener for me. It was the first time that I'd ever felt old. Now, everyone else in my life had been telling me this for years. But for me, it was the first time that I felt old. I, I felt like my body had failed me. It was like, what? 
I can't do the things I used to do. I can't just go out and with no exercise and no thing and just go play tackle football. I can't do that anymore. It was like an eye-opening thing. It was really, honestly, a sad day for me. It was sort of like, it was the first time I was getting in touch with what Paul's saying here, that our bodies are bodies of death. Our bodies have shelf life. They're gonna go down. They're gonna fail you. He says, but here's the good news. I, I know some of you, are like further on the road than me. Now, this is why sermon I always look around real fast. <laughs> There's certain sermons where you just say certain things, you just don't want to look at anyone in particular because I take it personally, you know. Are you talking about sexual sin? My head just starts spinning, you know. <laughs> like one of those little Dodger doll things. <laughs> All right. Yeah, here we go. Back, back to where we're going. So but some of us here, some of you here, and you may have been 20 years old and your body has failed you. You may be 40, you may be 60, you may be 80, you may be 100, but you know what I'm talking about. You're further down the line. Your body has failed you. You understand this, this body of weakness that is a result of sin and death in the human race. That's the biggest problem. Some of you aren't there yet. You're in the prime of life. You're healthy. You're strong. It seems like this whole body thing, like why would we even care? And the apostle Paul says, no, you don't understand. We have this body of death, and that's why Jesus came. He came to give us a new body. We often, we often, focus on he came to forgive our sins and give us a new spirit. That is true. But we've often forgot is he came to give us a new body. And it is amazing. It is gonna be an amazing version. And what we know from the Bible is that it will be like his new body, that he's the prototype. As he died and rose from the dead, so we will die and raise with him. And we will have a body like his. For example, if you take your Bible... And turn to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Look at verse 49. Now this week in your life group homework, you'll be looking at other passages that, say, that emphasize the same truth. But here in 1549, he says, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. You see, even as we've inherited the DNA of Adam, so we will all, as followers of Jesus, inherit the DNA of Jesus. We will receive a new version. It will bear his likeness. It will be like him. So what do we know about this new body? What do we know about Christ's body? Well, think with me of, the, of what happened after his uh, resurrection. Um, we, we don't know everything about his new body, but we know, have a lot of hints um, about it. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and afterwards he was very physical, very, he was very real. In fact, remember one story in Luke chapter 24, a couple of guys, his disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus just shows up and starts talking with him. I want you to remember that story. They did not look at him and say, wow, you look different. Are you from this planet? Nothing like that. They didn't go, wow, that's really cool. We can see through you. You know, that's, how do you do that? Yeah. It wasn't like that. He just looked like everyone else. They just said, oh, are you... You're a stranger here? He says, yeah, what are you guys talking about? Well, we're talking about the events of Jerusalem, and you're the only one in town who hasn't heard of you, new to town or something. We thought this guy named Jesus, we thought he was a Christ, we thought he was a Messiah. Not, turns out it looks like he's not. He's been dead three days now, and we don't know what to do. And he's, they start having the conversation. He looks normal like everyone else, right? Nothing about him that looks unusual. 
Remember that in John chapter 21, Jesus goes to see Peter and John. They've gone back to fishing. They're out in their boat. Jesus comes up. He builds a fire. He, starts, he gets some fish. He starts cooking some fish. He eats breakfast with them. After breakfast, goes in a walk with Peter to have a conversation. Very normal. Upper room, he goes to see his disciples. He shows up. He says, is there any fish or, or bread here that you can eat? You guys probably think I'm a ghost or something. Let me, I'll have dinner. I'll show you. I'm not I'm a real, real deal. I've got the real body. And then he said, next time he shows up, hey, Thomas, you are having a hard time believing I'm really back. I know you are. Here, look at my hands. T- come and touch my hands. And look at the, the nail holes in my hands. Look at the, the scar on my side. I, it's the real deal. I'm the real guy. I'm not just a spirit. I'm not some kind of ghost, you see. So what we know about Jesus' body, very real, very physical. And yet it had some new capabilities as well, didn't it? We know that, for example, on that road to Emmaus, he meets with those two disciples while they're having dinner together. All of a sudden, the the light goes on. They realize it's it's Jesus. They realize who he is. And so there was something about him that was different. There was something about him they hadn't recognized. And the moment they recognize him, he just just disappears. He just chooses to leave, and he just disappears. The, the, The disciples in the upper room, they're there, and uh, they're, they're hiding because they're afraid of the, the Romans. They're afraid they're going to get arrested. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Excuse me. <clears throat> He's just there. Behind, shows up behind locked doors. When it comes time for him to leave planet Earth, you remember he just did the hovercraft thing. Just kind of goes up. Just le- and so, new capabilities. So, what's it like? We don't know exactly what it's like. But we, there's a lot of, lot of clues there, isn't there? Very real body, new capabilities. And Paul says, if you're going to understand the next life, no, no, I know you have some false teachers there in Corinth that are teaching there will be no physical next life. Hey, Jesus came to restore your physical body. Okay. Number two. The second thing we know from this passage is that not only are we going to be getting a new bodies, we're going to, there's going to be a new world, a new universe for us to inhabit. And it's going to be a higher charge universe. It's going to be running at a higher voltage, very physical, very real. Physical bodies need a physical home, and this new home we're going to have is going to be very physical and very real, but it's going to operate at a higher current level. It's going to be uh, more charged. I want you to take your Bibles and look at a couple things Paul said in this chapter, chapter 15 and verse 50. Verse 50 says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, catch that word, cannot. I want you to understand this. Paul is not saying that your current body, flesh and blood, that God will not allow you to go in the next life. He's not saying that. He's saying you cannot. There's a difference between will not and cannot. What he's saying is it's physically impossible. The way our bodies are cannot really exist in this supercharged universe that's coming. If we're any doubt about it, verse 53, he talks about those who are still alive when Jesus comes back on planet Earth, Christians. And he says, verse 53, the perishable, catch this word, must clothe itself with the imperishable. You know, you catch that? It's not an option. That there's going to be some 22-year-old guys that have been working out for several years and are in awesome shape that are followers of Jesus when he comes back. And he's going to say, we've got to change your body. It won't work. Well, but there's nothing wrong with my body. Yeah, you have got a great earthly body, but it, by nature, it's a body of weakness. It cannot operate at this level. You see, it must be changed. And so there's a new world that we're moving into that operates at a higher level, that operates at a higher energy. Now, in the book of Romans, Paul describes this world a little bit more. So I'd like you to go there. 
Turn to the left in your Bibles. Keep your finger here, but go to the left in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and of course, Paul is suffering for Christ himself. These Christians have come to Christ. They're suffering for Christ. And yet he's going to say that the sufferings that we go through for following Christ now, even if they're intense persecution, are really nothing compared to the future that God has planned for us. If we could only see it, it'd be like saying, well, we have to pay 10 bucks to follow Christ now, but we're going to get 100 million bucks when we go there. He says, there's no comparison. He said, I know they're big, and I know they seem big now, but if you could see what's coming. So he says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory. There's that word again. You might want to underline that. The glory that will be revealed, notice this, in us. Notice he does not say to us. He says in us. Paul is not saying that it's amazing what what the suffering you're going through. It's worth what you're going to see and experience outside of yourself when Jesus comes back. He says, no, it's not worth comparing to the glory that's going to happen in us. No, it's in our bodies. Remember before in chapter 15, he said, our bodies are sown in dishonor. They're raised in glory. That's what he's talking about here. The glory that will be revealed in us, amazing bodies. But then he goes on. It's not just our bodies that are amazing. This new universe, the creation is going to be amazing. Verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God, that's you and I, followers of Christ, for the sons of God to be revealed. So the whole creation is waiting on tiptoe for that moment when Jesus comes back and this transformation is going to happen and we're going to receive our new bodies. And I say, well, why would the creation care? Well, why would the creation care what happens to our bodies? Why is it so standing on tiptoes? Very easy answer. What Paul's going to say is that the destiny of planet Earth, the destiny of our universe, the destiny of our universe is tied to our destiny. It always has been. You remember the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was not only their lives were affected, but the creation was affected. Remember that? That the earth was cursed, right? And ever since then, this universe is decaying, just like our bodies are decaying. Ever since uh, then, this universe has been not what it was intended to be. It is a universe that lives in frustration. As beautiful as it is, this creation is, is a pale shade of what it was supposed to be. And he says, so when when Jesus comes back and we are changed and we receive new bodies, we're going to need a new universe to live in and God is going to remodel this current universe. So he says in verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for this to happen. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration. See, this creation, the universe, it's a frustrated universe. It's not by its own choice. It wasn't a result of its own sin. It was a result of ours. And, but, and it was subjected by the will of the one who subjected it, and that's God. But catch this, in hope that the creation itself, the universe itself, would one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and it would be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You see what it's saying? It's saying this, we have fallen bodies We live in a fallen universe. What's going to happen to our bodies on a micro level is going to happen to the whole universe on a macro level. 
even as our bodies will be remade new, so the universe will be remade anew. Now catch this. We don't know exactly what this looks like. We don't know if God's just going to start it all over or like scratch this whole thing and start from scratch or whether he's going to take the new universe and remodel it. That's what this one, this verse sounds like. But I want you to catch this. Often as Christians, we think of, of the next life in terms of heaven, right? Nothing wrong with that. But I want you to catch this. The Bible often talks about a new earth. Very physical, very real. In fact, it uses the phrase new, uh, the new heavens and a new earth. And, and we'll see that later on. In fact, you'll study this um, in your life groups this week. There in your note sheet, Peter talks about it. Second Peter 3.12. Peter puts it this way. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I wish we had time to explore this more. What else does the Bible say about this new earth and this new bodies and this new life? And if we had time, we could look at other hints. Like I said, not as much as we're, we'd like, but there's some hints. For example, some of you have been Christians longer. You remember the story, the parable Jesus told, called the short story, the parable of the talents, where the rich man goes away and he takes his property and gives it to three of his trusted lieutenants to invest it. And it's a picture of what will happen when Jesus goes away to heaven and we're left on earth to carry about his business and how we do. And when he comes back, we'll be rewarded accordingly. Some of you remember that story. Well, it's interesting. Luke shares a version of the story. I'm sure Jesus told it many times. Shares a different version of that story where a man goes away, a rich man, to receive a kingdom. And while he's traveling to Rome to be crowned king of a certain area, while he's gone, that his, he takes his, all of his property, puts it in charge of three of his trusted servants. And when he comes back, what he says is, you have been faithful with this property, uh, like this, you know, 10, uh, 10 minas or 10, you know, kinds of units of, of, of wealth. He says, now, he says, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. You see? He doesn't come back and say, you've been faithful, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. That lazy boy over there is, is for you. No, he says, you have been faithful while I'm gone. You're getting a promotion and increased responsibility, increased influence. Now, most of us have probably been in a job in our life where we've worked hard and we've received a promotion. It's a promotion that we wanted. What is a promotion about? It's about you've been faithful in this area. We're going to promote you. We're going to make you manager of Starbucks. We're going to make you the head of this department. We're going to give you this larger ministry. Whatever the thing is, whatever area you work in. And those are promotions, and a promotion isn't where you sit back and down, you sit back and let everyone else do the work. A promotion is where you now get to have greater influence and greater responsibility, right? And this is what Jesus is painting a picture of. He says, when I come back, if you've done well with what I've given you, in the next life you will have greater responsibility and greater influence. We get a picture of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We study this earlier in the year. Where, Jesus, where uh, Paul says, why are you fighting among yourselves and taking each other to court? Don't you have some people in your church that are at least capable to be arbitrators and solve these issues? He says, don't you realize, Corinthians, that one day you will be judging angels? Really? Let's stop it. Here we are. We're sitting here at the church at Rocky Peak. You're a follower of Jesus. And you will one day be measuring and judging the rewards for angels. Other parts of the Bible, it talks about us sharing Christ's rule with him. 
So the picture we have in the scripture is that heaven is a place of activity. It's a place of ongoing responsibility, of increased fulfillment, of which uh, planet Earth is a shadow of what we will experience there. I think we really need to put away the harp cloud image. You see? Um, One of my favorite theologians today is... uh, uh, a Bible, you know, an evangelical theologian named Wayne Grudem. He wrote a book called Systematic Theology that's used in seminaries. And uh, uh, anyway, there's a quote there I put on your note sheet. It's a little hard to follow, but I think it's worth it from this really respected theologian who spent a lot of time studying this in the Bible. And just look what he says. He says, um, while we may have some uncertainty about the understanding of certain details, he's talking about the next life, it doesn't seem inconsistent with this picture, the picture that we see in the Bible, to say that we will eat and drink in the new heavens and the new earth that will carry on other physical activities as well. We might imagine that both musical and artistic activities would be done to the glory of God. Perhaps people will work at a whole range of investigation and development of the creation by technological, creative, inventive means and thus exhibiting the full extent of their excellent creation in the image of God. We may expect that for all eternity, we will be able to go on learning about God and about his relationship to his creation. In this way, we will continue the learning process that was begun in this life. Do you catch this? We were created in the image of God. Why would a God who created us with amazing capabilities, intelligence and creativity, the vision to dream and to accomplish and to achieve, why would he take all that and say, now, welcome to heaven, here's the Valium. Go sit on a couch, you see? Now, I think we need to really revise this, that this life is just the beginning of real life. It's the shadow lands. And then what happens here is a time of preparation. What times here is a time of training. What happens there is a time of promotion assuming we've done well. And that leads us to number three. So we have new bodies. We have a new, uh, new universe, a new world. So what does that mean for us? It means that we need to have a new perspective. What it means for us is if, if, if this is really true, that this life is just the beginning of real life, if it's true that this life is like the preschool of eternity, If it's really true that this life, like I said last week, is the lobby into eternity, then it it changes everything. We talked about last week, I like to call this life the lobby into real life. Like I said, you go to the theater, you buy your popcorn, you get your Coke, you get your favorite candy bar, but unless you're 12 years old, you don't hang out in the lobby. That's not why we go to the theater. You go to the lobby to decide which show you want to see. And this life is like the lobby. We're getting prepared to go into which show we want to see. It's where real life happens. Like I tell you this, if we don't understand this principle, really, we won't understand the whole New Testament. Because the whole New Testament assumes this reality from Jesus on. It's just the reality they live in, that this life is just the beginning of real life. This life is about preparation. And so this is the life we get ready. This is the life we serve. This is the life we focus in on. It's so important, but it's important because of what comes after. The whole New Testament doesn't even make sense without this teaching. 
And yet many times we've allowed the enemy to destroy this teaching. We've been afraid of, oh, pie-in-the-sky uh, pie Christians, you know? So heavenly-minded, no earthly good. Can I tell you something? The people that are the most heavenly-minded always do the most earthly good <laughs> because they're the most focused people. They understand this always has been the history of the human race. You look back and you say, who changed the slave trade? Who changed child labor laws? You look back, it's, it was Christians, who understood that because we are going there, we need to be most effective here. Because we are going there, we pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we're at the forefront of changing the here and now. And yet we've let the enemy steal this from us. And when we let him steal this, this teaching from us, this reality of the next life, it's like we become a car that's operating on one cylinder, like six of our cylinders, or seven of our cylinders, eight-cylinder car. Seven of our cylinders are dead and not working. It's a powerful teaching, powerful truth. One of my favorite passages, and it's just taught all through the New Testament, and as you read through your New Testament now, just be watching for this reality. You'll just see it all the time. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, there in your note sheet. The apostle Peter puts it like this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, he says, get your game face on. Be ready to throw down. I picture a scrimmage line in a game of football. You know how it is a game of football. You come out of the huddle. You've got your play. You know what the play is all about. Now you've prepared your minds for action. You get down in your three-point stance. You get down in your two-point, and then your three-point stance, and you're ready for that call. You're ready for that, that signal that hikes the ball, and you are there, and you're lined up in your tents, and you're ready for action, and you're ready to explode off that line because you know if you're going to win the game, you've got to explode off the line. You've got to beat your opponent. That's what he's saying here. He says, prepare your minds for action. He says, draw the line. You're on the scrimmage game of life. Get there, get ready to explode, get ready. And he says, be self-controlled. In other words, live wise lives and set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Set your hope, your purpose in life, your focus. Set your hope fully, what? On the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, Jesus Christ is coming back. That's what life is all about. That's what we're waiting for. He says, so, so draw the line. Get in your three-point your three, uh, stance. Set your mind ready for action. Stay focused. This life is all about the next life. And the enemy comes along. He wants to get us off track. He wants to distract us. You know, one of the enemy's greatest attacks on our life is distraction. You know that? We often think of getting off track spiritually. We think of some major moral failure. We think of some major heresy we get into. You know what? I'm convinced that in our day and time for Western American Christians, one of the biggest challenges we face is distraction. In fact, the New Year's message is, this year, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the distractions of life, how to stay focused as we go into a new year. But Satan comes. He wants us to forget about the next life. He just wants to tie us down with this life. We forget the game that's on. We don't have our game face on. Picture it like this. A couple kids. Two, two kids. One kid's a sophomore in high school. He's grown up in the inner city. He does not know one person other than his school teachers who's ever graduated from high school. His area is, is gang infested. 
There's drug dealers on every corner. You don't live long in his life. And a teacher pulls him aside and says, you need to buckle down. You need to work on your schoolwork because if you don't, you won't have a future. You need to focus here. You need to do your studies. You know how hard it's going to be for that kid to do that? How impossible that is for that kid to do that? He doesn't know anyone in his life that's done that. He has no frame of reference. You take another kid. He grows up in middle class USA. He's got three older brothers. They all went through high school. They all went through college. He's got an older sister. She's a doctor, whatever. Her parents, one went to college, one didn't. But they all both went to high school. His whole world is you go through high school. And so he's goofing off in the 10th grade. His teacher comes along and says, you need to focus here. You need to get, you, you need to get on, on your game here. You've got a future in front of you. He totally gets it. It's not that he necessarily goes, okay, I'll start doing my homework because he assumes he can not do his homework and still go to college. That's his assumption. But he understands the whole rules. He understands the whole game. He knows he has to know it. His whole world is, okay, I get that. You see, because he has a future, he can focus in the here and now. What Paul wants us to understand is this is the high school of real life. Real life doesn't happen in high school even though it seems like it when we're in high school. Real life happens when you graduate, right? And so high school is a time of preparation. It's a time of getting ready. It's a time of focusing on our future. And Paul says, okay, so that's what I'm telling you, that there really is a next life. One more verse. Let's see how he, how he uh, finishes this in chapter fif- uh, 15, verse 58, how he ends this, the, the chapter. You know, as a young pastor, trying to learn how to teach and Share God's word. And it's one of the tempting things of being a pastor is that you can spend all your time learning about the Greek and the Hebrew and the language and you can learn all about the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the life, the times, the time you're studying. And you can, it's pretty easy to put together a sermon like that. Oh, here's what it happened in Corinth. Here's what's going on. Here's what it means. Here's what the word says or whatever. And you can get to the end of it and everyone walks out with a great history lesson on Corinth but you have no clue what it means in your life. And that happens all the time. So as a young pastor, I didn't want to fall in that trap. And so I was trying to learn this. And so at the beginning of every week, as I'd start writing a sermon, I would write in huge letters at the top of my uh, note sheet, so what? <laughs> because I didn't want to ever give a message that got to the end there and said, well, that's really interesting, but so what? When I go to work tomorrow, like, what is, how does it make in my life? What difference does it make? Well, well, Paul is a master communicator. And if you study his letters, you'll always see the so what. Usually they come after the word therefore. <laughs> you know what Paul does? He says, this is the way God is. This is the way life works. This is the way you are. So therefore, let me tell you what to do. You see? He always lays the groundwork of the truth of God, and this is the therefore. And so he's taken this whole chapter, this whole chapter that we've been studying on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've spent two weeks on it, going through verse by verse. We got the whole thing down. Okay, we get to verse 58, and here's the so what, all right? So here he ends it. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, I want you to stand firm. So I know you got false teachers there telling you there is no resurrection, there is no next life, or it's not very physical. He says, I want you to stand firm and let nothing move you. Don't give in to them. In fact, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So I want you to live your life for him, full on, 100%. Passion for God, love for people. Seek first his kingdom. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because why? Because now you know now that we've gone through this chapter, 
now that you know about the resurrection, now that you know about the next life, he says, because now that you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see? See, this life is not about this life. This life is all about the next life. And what Paul wants us to do is he wants to get us ready for our graduation. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the way it speaks to us, God. I just can't believe how many times in my life how what a limited ability I have to hold on to, to spiritual truth. It's like I hear a truth like this and I just need to be reminded of it over and over again. I'm so easily distracted. And so, Lord, um, this is what is, is my prayer on behalf of our congregation, Lord. I'm praying today that as a church, as a congregation, we would be a, a church that understands that this life is all about the next life. And that would make a huge difference in the way we go about our life, the way we do our priorities, the way we spend our time and our energy and our money and our resources. That God, that we, it, would, it would affect the way we do suffering and deal with suffering. It would affect our whole approach to life, Lord, because we would understand this is high school, real life's coming next, so we need to get ready. And so, Lord, may we be a people that live with a passion for you, a compassion for others, because we understand what's coming. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hi, the church at Rocky Peak. What are we going to be? What are we going to become? If you read through the New Testament, what you'll see is the early church is a church that lived in the light of the next life. That the church of Jesus Christ, when it's healthy, the church of Jesus Christ, when it's fresh, the, health of the, the church of Jesus, when it's powerful, is always a church that's living in the reality of the next life. May God be with us this week. May he give us a new and fresh vision of this. As you're, you're alone time with him this week, may you reflect on these things. Maybe you pull out the, 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 the message notes. As you go into your life groups, you reflect on this together. What would our lives look like if we lived more for the next life? What would that look like? I don't think it would be uh, we're all going up in a monastery somewhere, not at all. I don't think it's about that. I think it's just living our lives in the presence of God the way he's called us to do all through the scriptures understanding that as we do, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's going to pay huge dividends. So may the Lord be with you this week. May he be your strength and your refuge and your stronghold. May he be the one who calls you to follow a little bit closer and the one that calls you to get on the scrimmage life of line in your three-point stance. May this be a week where you understand with a new freshness and new vitality that this life is all about the next life. Because one thing I know as sure as we're standing here, that we will all one day, those of us who are followers of Jesus here, that we will all be one day standing there and we will remember this day, I promise you, and you'll remember this message and we'll, we'll have a conversation about this day and you remember that day and boy, we had no, no idea how amazing it was gonna be and Mike tried to describe it and he didn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> but if we only would have known, man, we would have given ourselves fully to the service of the Lord. Hey, well, guess what? We already know that part. Right? We don't have to wait, right? May the Lord bless you this week. Next week, we go into 1 Corinthians 16. I hope you can uh, join us as we get very close to wrapping up this series. See you then. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. 
Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.